It's not about supplication. It's about power. It's not about asking. It's about demanding. It's not about convincing those who are currently in power. It's about changing the very face of power itself. Kimberly Williams Crenshaw. What does the word power invoke in your mind? Is it the brutal domination of another by any means necessary? Does it involve control, fear, violence? Or can power be gentle, even nurturing? Can power be expressed through love? Is there power in a word, a touch, a look? Can there be power in seeing and in being seen, hearing and being heard? When the music's playing and you're in the midst of a groove and feeling at one with yourself, is that not power in its most pure state? As you take a moment to bask in your own power, let me invite you to sit back, pour yourself a drink, and enjoy the show. I'm Rob Celtic, and this is Drinking and Dance at the End of the World. Welcome back to Drinking and Dance at the End of the World. My guest today is a superbly talented professional dancer, dance instructor, choreographer, organizer, and curator with a master's degree as an adult educator. Of Haitian origin, born and raised in Switzerland, she is very involved in the growth of the Swiss hip-hop scene. She has been teaching and mentoring since 2005 and stays involved in the Swiss community through JAIA, which is a nonprofit organization providing sessions, parties, workshops, and battles, uh, and Flow Focus, which is an organization providing workshops aiming to become a dance school. She is the director and choreographer of Passion Fruit Dance Company, which she founded in 2016. Her company has performed at Jacob's Pillow, the New Victory Theater, the Apollo Theater, Alvin Ailey, Ladies of Hip Hop Festival, Dance Place, Bad. In addition to all this, she was selected as one of Dance Magazine's 2020 25 to Watch and is a core member of Rennie Harris' Pure Movement. It is with a warm heart and a warmer cup of tea that I wish a bonjour et bienvenue à Tatiana Desadouin. Hey, bonjour, Rob. <laughs> Tatiana, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you for uh, agreeing to come and uh, come on to my very, uh, very small podcast. Um, what are you drinking today? I'm drinking some hot tea with ginger. Mm. Uh, see, excellent, because I planned ahead and am drinking the same. So it's almost like oh. we're in the same room. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> I know you're in New York, right? Yeah, I mean, right now, exactly in Jersey. Oh, Jersey. Uh, oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah. yeah. No. Nope. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. I don't, I don't know. I don't care anymore. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know anyone from Jersey, so I can get away with making those jokes. 
So I, I'll still get it. Yeah, I'm used to it. <laughs> oh, good, good. Well, then I like I like beating a dead horse. <laughs> oh, so uh, for the um, for the listeners at home, uh, fun fact: uh, I asked Tatiana to share a fun fact with me, and she chose that she is bad with directions and orientation. Which makes sense because I've personally witnessed her drive a car through a crowded playground. And to her credit, she didn't even lose the ash off her cigarette. So. <laughs> uh, whatever. Uh, yeah, whatever. But yeah, it's true. Like, I, I have a really, really bad sense of orientation. Like, crazy. Like, I would go to a place and I would have made right, left. I would get out that place and we'll do another right and left instead of doing the opposite, like naturally. And I will be sure of myself. That's mm. the crazy part. <laughs> well, let that be a lesson to everybody at home. It doesn't really matter if you have the right directions or not, but as long as you act like you're sure. <laughs> it's all about the confidence. <laughs> exactly. That's how you get through life. That's how you navigate. Yep. <laughs> um, so let's, let's start off with just, uh, you know, the customary um, sonte. Mm-hmm. Cheers to everyone at home. Um, so if we can get started, uh, who inspired you when you began dancing and who inspires you today? So I was inspired definitely by my parents because they were the first one to really taught me how to dance, starting with the Haitian because I'm from Haiti. So the Afro-Haitian dance, you know, the cultural dances from Haiti and then um, from there I really kept dancing I kept dancing and then later on I discover hip-hop but my my parents put me on that my dad uh, was a big inspiration because he was the one listening to uh, Afro-American music a lot African-American music and I grew listening to that so definitely it was a big inspiration to me. Um, and then who else I could say? Oh, and the DJ, the DJ in the Haitian community. It was a dancer, actually. And I think my one of my first official hip hop dance moves, I think I learned from him copying off of him in, uh, in Haitian parties. You know? So those were my first main inspiration, I would say. And uh today a lot of people inspires me it's like i don't have one specific uh person i have like a large range of people that inspires me that if i need to be inspired i will naturally probably go and look or or i'm happy when i see them when i see something uh they post or i'm I'm able to just be in contact with them and dance with them like i got you yeah all right well you know, uh, I hear you, but um, just in case you're not naming names, I want to assure you, almost nobody is listening to the podcast right now, so you could totally... <laughs> I'm not afraid. No. You could totally <laughs> name somebody without fear I was of about to. No, don't out. worry. <laughs> I was about <laughs> to go more deep, deeper into that, but just to say really like how um, basically I get influences that way mainly, but... Mm. Um, there's specifically one teacher that did inspire my way of teaching and my dance period was Brian Green. He uh-huh. totally influenced me till this day on his uh, geeky way of uh, seeing dance and thinking dance. 
you know, as an overall and not just like a dance in a style specifically. The tools he's able to give when he teaches is like useful for so many different things. And I feel like this is how I want to be able to teach and keep teaching. And this is what I may need to do when I, whenever I teach. So huge inspiration. Do you have any specific moments uh, from Brian Green that, I don't know, make you laugh or make you smile or like really stick with you in regards oh, to your inspiration? Oh, there's so many. There's so many. So he's probably one of the guys that I took the most classes with. Uh, and <laughs> there were many moments like when he asks you random questions like, what do you think is good? Uh, what do you have as a dancer, as a quality? And I, and I would say it's so it's such an awkward question, especially coming from where I'm from. Just for you to be able to say you're good at something is a big thing, you know. Mm. So it's not easy to say. So I was like thinking, thinking hard, and then whenever I say what I said, I thought like, well, I said my feeling naturally. I said my feeling, meaning. So in Europe, whenever you say your feeling, you mean basically your groove, right? Yeah. And then yeah. I was like, I said that, and he just looked at me like. I, like I was the that was the dumbest shit he ever heard in his life, you know. <laughs> and then till this day, <laughs> I still don't know what that look meant. But I just know I feel so dumb. And I was like, man, I should have shut my mouth or just say I don't know, you know. <laughs> like he's good at making you feel so awkward and and dumb <laughs> at times. But some people will run out of this class. But I was actually the one like, I'm okay with it. I, I was going back. Like, I, I like feeling uncomfortable a lot, in, especially when I learn uh, dance. I feel like we'd all be a lot better off if we could learn to dive into that uncomfortability a little more. Definitely. Definitely. It's a big, it's not easy to do at times, but I think that's the best growth, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, at, to, at the risk of sounding like a cliche, which I yeah. often do, um, the uh, the things that are easy really aren't worth doing, right? Like, I mean, it feels good. <laughs> it definitely makes you feel good sometimes when you don't have to think about it. Like, is whenever you do something that you usually do and it's fun to do, mm -hmm. it feels good. But it's true that relying only on that—that's where you losing the opportunity to grow word yeah so when we met at uh just in 2016 you were the only swiss person i had ever met really yeah and you know what that still hasn't changed i am very ashamed of <laughs> really? that oh wow <laughs> so as i mean as far as i've learned um being an american switzerland is most famous for chocolate cheese and neutrality so um, what can you tell us about the history of the Swiss hip-hop scene? So the Swiss hip-hop scene is very young, I would say. Um, as, I mean, my generation, I'm 36 right now, and my generation is basically the, the considered almost like OG in the hip-hop scene. So that goes wow. to how young we are, yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, what happened is that there were people before us but the, uh -huh. there were a big gap, big disconnection. I think it did happen in a lot of countries. Um, in a lot of countries, I was, I was going to say uh, in Europe, but also in the U.S., you know, there's gaps that was created. Uh, you know, there's, there were people before, and eventually they stopped dancing. 
and never pass down the information really because they were not that was not their goal you know they were just doing what they do and then they stopped eventually the b-boy mm. scenes kept growing i think that was switzerland was more known at one point for that for their events the b-boys events uh but not for upright dance and then i know there were people before me and some of them i knew them but i i got to know them almost when they stopped you know and yeah. they never really you know was thinking of going further with dance so basically my generation started kind of from scratch and the what happened is that we were not really connected uh i mean i'm talking for me i was not really connected with the french scene at that time uh even though it was right there but it's like we didn't know each other and when i started basically there was no there was nothing there was no all the social media thing internet you know to connect you know with the french scene it's, it's it was only if a french dancer would come over and they will probably eventually tell us about the the what their their own scene so i met this guy sebastian boucher from france i don't know if you heard of him he's a popper um i can't say that i have but there are only a few french dancers that i know personally um okay. so yeah yeah i'm learning yeah, he, no it's good it's good he moved he moved to switzerland and then he he, he was uh, i mean to france to, to the border basically of first of switzerland mm-hmm. and he, that's how we met and then he was the one who introduced me mainly to that world to that scene i was like i, I had no clue it was a whole scene big huge scene in france that was happening while i was dancing you know so mm. for me that was amazing to discover that and also feeling like i'm not alone because in switzerland when i started there were not that much dancers it was mm. only a few of us like for house in the french side of switzerland we were probably three people it was pastora um bembica and i doing mm-hmm. it and sebastian boucher obviously that just recently moved there we were the only ones really doing it and mm. and then from there the only way for us to learn was to travel so i started traveling to france in 2002 for workshops and that's when actually i discovered house for the first time with brian green and mm. i discovered popping locking uh with um with the boogaloos it was the boogaloos and he was um uh popping taco was there too wow and, And yeah, that's, that's, that's the time of my first encounter with popping that was taking workshops with them, with all of them over there. And then Brian Green for Hip Hop and House. And Link came to Geneva actually before that. That was my first workshop ever, ever in mm-hmm. my life. And that's how I started connecting with basically dancers from U.S., because in switzerland it was really nothing you know i was not even connected to the french dancers like that but i would say i, I got connected with the dancers from us before uh, the french scene which is crazy to me well i mean that is also kind of appropriate when you think about it considering all these art forms come from america from. definitely yeah. I'm, I mean, for me, it's the best way. It was the best way for me to learn, definitely. Well, I But mean, you just and... think like, France is right there. France is like next door. And then all of this was happening and I had no clue. For me, it's just crazy to, to think about that. Yeah, well, I mean, me personally, I 
it, it's crazy to think too that your first workshop was with Link, and <laughs> you're in Switzerland at that point. You're in Geneva, yep. and like my first exposure to these dances, I was in Iowa in the middle of the United States, and oh. it was just you know idiots in high school like just um, screwing around. So. Um, yeah, I mean, in, ma- in many ways, that. you had like way more of a head start in that connection to American dance than I did. And I grew up in America. You think? I, I'm not sure. <laughs> you, you, were, um, you basically evolved inside the culture. You see what oh, I mean? Oh, no, I did so, not. I promise you. Oh, no, you I didn't? Was, yeah, oh. so that's, that's <laughs> okay. the thing. That's the thing. I, I mean, I wish I had. Uh, I often like, you know, there's long sleepless nights where I kind of like think about that. But um, mm-hmm. each, each state is like its own country. And the state that I was in, Iowa, was known for farming and agriculture. And oh, um, Iowa, you said, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and methamphetamines. So it really... <laughs> We didn't really, you know, I was, I was, grew up in a small town and I was mostly white people and oh, like yeah, just you. no connection to the culture at all. So, oh, okay, that makes sense. <laughs> you know, in, in many ways, my first connection came through like when I went to study in Japan and joined a crew out there. So even then it was like second or third hand, but um, it's great. And wow. it's just, I, I like to, I love to trip out about like how, how we start and how the hand of fate kind of like moves you around without, without you being able to see it till much later. It's true. It's crazy. But I mean, I relate to a lot of people. Um, you know, I relate to you when you say fooling around because my first encounter with hip hop was not through that workshop. It was before that. It was mm. by me just dancing with my friends as well, you know, because I was copying of dance videos because back then, a lot of dancers were in videos, so you just copy off of it. You know what I mean? Mm. So I was like uh, copying what I think hip hop was and just immediately videos. And then we were doing shows and I had a little crew called South Angels, five girls. Hey, <laughs> okay. Performing and doing hip hop shows. I was doing uh, uh, like sometimes you, you play around with stuff that you see. You just don't know the vocabulary of it. Like for like a funny story about uh, about that like I thought I didn't know popping was popping so I used to call it in French cassage so cassage <laughs> so if I translate cassage the word cassé means breaking you break stuff so for uh, me the idea of you contracting your muscles it's like you break 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 like you were breaking so we, your arms exactly and your legs. Ah, so okay. we in, it's like you invent names for stuff that you see and at that time I had no clue so I was already dancing, freestyling, and, you know, a lot until I took his class. And then where every, everything was, like, confused to me. I was like, what? What? But in those early parts where you were starting out, did you feel any sort of connection through your, your Haitian heritage and the dances that your parents taught you? Definitely, because I started this group inside... Uh, my um, a Haitian nonprofit organization. And inside mm. that nonprofit, that's where the crew was born. We were doing first the dances, the, the Haitian dancers, definitely all together. But also all of us, all of my friends, we were listening to hip hop. So it only made sense that we were growing. Uh, the parents will ask us for different, you know, uh, events, you know, Haitian events. They will ask us to perform and we were like, okay, 
we're about to do a show, a performance, so we will come together and use the tracks that we love or play some Missy Elliott. Hey. And then we're like, okay, let's do, let's do a choreo on that track that we love or use Timbaland or use whatever song that we, we were really on it. And that's how it started, really. Like, my performance life started with them doing mm-hmm. that um, in hip-hop. So I feel like the connection was completely in. And within our shows, we were always mixing all of our backgrounds. So there was like four Haitian girls and one from Congo. And uh. yeah, one Congolese. It was actually Bemblika's little sister. <laughs> so she was in it. And we were mixing whatever we love. So um, it could be Haitian stuff. It could be uh, Jamaican music a lot because we loved dancehall and whatever. Soka. I remember putting soca in it and hip hop. So our group was mixing all of the stuff that we love. So everything was intertwined. Man, that sounds like just so much fun. It was a hell of a fun. Like, I wouldn't be there if it wasn't for them, for sure. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's for sure. <laughs> well, I mean, fast forward to where you are today. Um, I would like to talk about passion fruit because mm-hmm. I keep seeing y'all pop up on my feed in the strangest places at times when I'm not expecting it. I see your face. I see my leg. Um, and I'm just absolutely thrilled for you. And you, you started it, you started that company around the time that we met. Um, so what can you tell us about starting your own dance theater company? Like, what was that journey for you? What is that journey that you're on now? So for me, it was an, it's, it, it only made sense with the experience that I had in Switzerland previously. I, I was already doing theater, some theater work. I've done it. We, I was like part of the first uh, hip hop company in the French side of Switzerland called Continuum. And we mm-hmm. were, I was already on that process of creating work for theater. And all the, the project that I did like that never lasted. And for different reasons, you know, personal reasons that people, you know, some, someone became a dad, so other priorities, uh, some people, you know what I mean? Like, for different reasons, it didn't last. People were not so involved into it. So it felt like every time we had to start over. And this time, it was really my opportunity moving to U.S. to be like, okay, I'm going to start it, but by myself this time, so I don't have to depend on nobody else. Mm. And, and push uh forward the create my creativity i was teaching um a lot in switzerland and with my students where i'm really grateful to them because also if i'm here is also because of them because they allow me they gave me space to create outside of the dance class i could be like okay i have this piece that i have in mind are you guys down and they will spend hours with me in the room and then be okay with me you <laughs> basically using them and create work but also give them the opportunity to go places and perform. So it only made sense eventually for me to have my own company to keep going. Mm. And I feel like starting in U.S. Uh, was a good opportunity to for a fresh start. Um, I had nothing, you know, when I just came. So I was like, okay, all I have to focus on is my personal project. So I could put a lot of energy in writing and think through how I'm going to do this. Who am I going to do this with? Um, everything ended up being a perfect timing with Miley and Lorian. They were aiming to do something more. Those mm-hmm. are friends. They're good friends. 
uh, you know, so even having to work with them is the easiest thing in the world because, like, there's no challenge of getting to know each other. Uh, what what is my intention? They automatically know it. You know, you have to build trust sometimes when you, you start. You have that deep rapport already built. Exactly. So it was easy to start with them, and they trusted me. That was the big thing. It was like, ah, it's your project. Whatever you want to do, we down. So all I had to do is, I had a lot of time to do it. Focus on this, sit <laughs> down. And a lot of time when I just came, it was crazy. I was just teaching at EXPG, and that's it. So most of the time I was writing and then try to think this through. And the beauty of starting this here is that um, U.S. for me is like a good place where to offer uh, different ideas where people are, oh, there's always someone that's willing to hear an ID. And it's more conservative in, in Switzerland, harder, especially when it comes to hip hop. It's not easy to, to uh, advocate for um, your project you know, here you can be crazy and you'll find that one person that will be willing to hear your crazy idea. And it's really liberating, I feel. So it was a good journey at the start for me. Uh, it's not easy, still not easy, but uh, easy to be motivated to push. You know, and there was not that much things going on when it comes to theater work here, mm. I feel, especially in New York. So... Mm. Um, well, I, not to cut you off, but like this is actually like something I'm very passionate about myself. Like I yeah. before I ever started dancing, I was an actor. Um, and so like Rennie Harris, when he came to oh, yeah. my college, uh, I was a freshman and I saw I saw a pure movement show and it was it just blew my mind. And I was like, this this is what I want, you know, like and so mm -hmm. I actually ended up writing my college thesis on that man. Um, for the from, for my dance degree um so it's when we talk about the state of dance theater right now and like i i actually just joined a company a few months ago and we had to we've we've had to pause uh because of the the pandemic but i'm finally like starting to make those works and i'm i'm i hear what you're saying because i'm super excited about it as well because a lot of times when it comes to street dance theater, I feel like mm -hmm. in many ways the scene has become stagnant because it's just breaking meets modern dance, <laughs> you know, and you have yeah, some, you have the, the soundtrack of somebody breaking a wine bottle in the background. And that's like, that's the piece, you know, it's true. I feel like it has been the problem for many, in many places, many countries, like even in Europe, um, a lot of times when you see hip-hop dancers, um, now there's more hip-hop street companies over there. Mm -hmm. But uh, before, it was a lot of individuals being part in the contemporary company. So they will, basically, they, were, they would be used as tools for different for contemporary projects. So mm -hmm. you would go and see performances, you would know that dancer, but nothing of what the dancer is doing represent really that person. It was... It was something also a wake up call for me to be like, oh, but what about all of this that I know of that dancer that he's doing and he's not portrayed because the contemporary world wants to take the shape the, um, of it and not really the depth of the, those styles in the culture. Like they have no interest into that. You know, just the concept of contemporary dance itself is about study the movement itself. But for us, it's a different 
entry door to art than them and they, they have hard time sometimes to understand that art mm-hmm. so for me to see um a lot of companies, French uh, French companies starting to do that, it was also like a good motivation to see a different alternative to what is portrayed on stage and how can we do it and try to keep as much as we can to keep our authenticity, which I don't believe we can bring 100% on stage because it's still a contemporary approach, but uh, we are part of this community and the culture, so just our bodies itself are able to portray that thing. And I feel like we don't trust that enough. Mm -hmm. And we're not really supported uh, by institutions. Uh, It's hard to have a voice in those institutions. Now that I'm working with it, I I see the struggle. And I can understand in US why people will start and stop. It's really hard. Uh, You know, it's really uh, white white oriented. Absolutely. I mean, the, the, the dance itself, um, I mean, a lot of people will trace it back to Martha Graham and the, uh, the Denishon company and people like that. It was, it was white people rebelling against ballet. Yeah. And at the time, it was very exciting. And then they just went to build their own structures and create their own dogma. And then that got stale. And exactly. so, and then it seems like those institutions in trying to like stay fresh will take breaking and b-boying for example and like you say they want some of the form but they don't want any of the the spirit or the soul no they're not really interested and it's a problem like um like you said is 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 crazy i'm i'm amazed every time i think about Rennie harris uh, being yeah. part of the companies it's amazing for me to see and to hear stories on how it was able to push through and to make it until now. Because now that I'm starting my own company, I, I, I see the struggle with institutions and I see there's a lot of people who want to help, but they really don't know how. And it's because of a lack of education of what, what our art form is. Mm. And, and when you start taking part to different panels, you, t- you realize the conversations is always like, oh, we want something different in our program. We want something uh, almost like and we all look like a, an exotic thing to add to the program because it will be nice to have that in the program and that's it. But those people are supposed to represent culture because they are the ones, you know, owning all those theaters in the places. But I feel like they, they don't see hip hop as part of the American culture as well. So for me, it's like a big failure. I'm like, you're supposed to represent culture. So you out of all people supposed to know about hip hop. This is fundamentally American culture. This is from, from, this is from here. So you're supposed to know deeper as you being represented, representant of art and dance, uh, you should have a more broad vision about it. So it was sometimes harsh um, conversations, but also this is why I'm doing this. I'm doing yeah. this really to push that door. And those those voices are needed sorely. Like I, I when I was in even in college at the University of Iowa in the dance department, like there were wonderful teachers there, and it was a wonderful program. But at the same time, like they would have hip hop, but it was it wasn't really hip hop, and it wasn't it was basically just treated as a novelty. Like it was an extra credit that you could do, you know. Oh, but yeah. if you really if you wanted to get a dance degree, 
if you were serious about being a professional dancer, you really had to either study ballet or modern, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. And, it, you know, it was just, I, I could tell you stories, but I'm pretty sure you have some of the same stories I do, so I don't want to bore you. <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't. Like, you can tell me, like, really, because I like to hear those things because I, I want to, to be able to address those things whenever I have the chance to just extra proof of what is the problem what is the issue well i mean when you talk about like them saying like we want to add something different to our program we want this we want that for me it just kind of repeats this theme that i i keep running into regarding whiteness and its relationship to black dances yeah you know it's it's not it's not ever about i want to dance with you i want to understand where you come from and your struggle. And I want to like liberate myself in your liberation. You know, I want to like be a, a part of the solution, yeah. right? It's never that. It's never that. It's never it I is want to participate. never that. You know, it, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's never, I want to join in and party and, you know, uh, um, move my, my upper body for God's sake. It's like an <laughs> observation all the time. Yeah. I observe well, and I take whatever I like. <laughs> exactly. It's an observation. And then there's this, this hunger un- underneath it, this like, what can I use it for? How can I use it exactly. and make it fit my sensibility and then be treated as a genius because of it? Exactly. You know, and, and, you know, Sometimes, you know, actually, no, it's, it never gets impressive results. It just, they're impressed with themselves and people who don't know the real are impressed with that too. But for anybody who has actually, you know, come up in the culture, been born in the culture or is yeah. a guest of the culture, like I am, like anybody who sees that, it's like, what the hell are you doing? Yeah, it's true. It's, it's, I mean, this is really fundamentally why passion for was born is really, there's a lot of, you know, goals behind it, but the definitely fight against racism, but on, on the systemic way, but also in art, basically. And how, what can we do? Um, try, to, try to show an example on what we, can we do using what we do best, like basically hip hop and house, with that is a natural tool against that. And how we can use also in those institute, artistic institutions if you know how to push through the right doors and then make yourself heard the right way. So it's, it's for me, it's a good exercise, you know, as I'm, as I'm going, it's like, I'm discovering extra, extra tools to fight this thing. But mm. also I discovered different walls that I'm, I don't know if I'm ready to push through yet. <laughs> well, I mean, and, you, you have to go at your own pace. That's your, you know, that's your uh, obligation as an artist. Definitely. But Definitely. like while while we're on the topic, um, traveling through Europe, um, as I did when I met you, I every now and again, being a white guy from America, I would run into uh, certain dancers uh, or just certain civilians that would find out, you know, oh, you're American, mm-hmm. man. What is it with the, you know, uh, the sensitivity in America right now, right? Like everyone's all up in arms about race here in Europe, we don't have racism. And they'd think they, oh God, no. Well, I mean, they invented it. Like, where, yeah. where how are you going to tell me that Europeans aren't racist when the transatlantic slave trade started in Europe? 
Like, exactly. I mean, exactly. we like y'all, they, they passed the baton to us in America and we went running strong with it, but like we didn't start it, you know? Yeah. But, um, it's, it's wow. just, it's just this thing where they would say that to me and expect that I would, you know, be, be relieved and excited to join in. Oh, thank God. Like, you know, and I was like, ex- <laughs> I got into fights, man. I got into oh. fights. So, um, all that to say, uh, being uh, Haitian and Swiss at the same time, like being a woman of color, being a black woman in Europe. Um, a lot what, of layers. I, I have to imagine. So what, what can you tell me about your experience of race and racism in Europe, in the European dance scene, and how does it compare to America? Oh, there's, there's so much. We could spend two hours just on that, you know? Honestly, like I <laughs> would I'm absolutely keep be down. Short. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, for extra convo, we can do that longer if you want, you know, if you yeah. want to hear. Yeah, but, for, the, for the bonus episode for anybody exactly. who wants to tune in. Yeah. But, uh, okay, it's, it's amazing for me to have the chance to have been living in two different places. Like, especially I wanted to experience the culture from a closer point of view. That's also why I moved here. I needed to get more information because obviously I knew I was lacking of a lot of things, you know. Um, and I, when I dive into something I love, I want to go deep. And then as I was coming here, I, 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 and really this is amazing. So because I was not able to talk about certain things while I was in Europe, you know. The topic mm-hmm. of racism is really sensitive. Uh, you, you, people easily make you sound like you're crazy when you mention those things. Almost like they love to say how you victimize yourself when you complain about those things, right? Mm, um, yeah. They love to show how is is it was like before is not the same. Uh, they love to think that things have changed and that should be enough. You see what I mean? But oh, it's the same story here. Yeah. Yeah, it's the same story here. But here, there's something where my voice was kind of unlocked because you could hear it up front it was so much in your face in a violent way and Mm. it's easier to address it it's like people are already used to hear that they're already used to hear that conversation and to have it so it didn't lock a lot of tools for me to be able to talk about it with more depth especially when i go back to europe now so the moving the 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 transition was really uh, helpful for me in that sense uh, liberating, I would say, actually, mm. to, to push. And this is what motivates my work with Passion Fruit uh, and my teaching since three years. Um, I discovered that the main problem that we have in Europe is the understanding of the, the, the depth of the culture of hip-hop. The way it was brought to us in Europe, it was brought to us mainly like just, oh, this is, this is it and this is for everyone. Everybody mm. can join. This is for everyone, which is true. But that wasn't enough for us to understand down the line the, the, that there's more to that, to focus on the why of the culture. So we all know where it was born, when, you know, who created it, but we don't know the why. I mean, we barely know it. We know it, but not really like with more debt. And the why is actually the most important part, but it was not spread for, for whatever reason, which I'm not going to judge because I think... It was a different time. I think people were focused on making work, being able to work, and didn't think 
the consequences of that that non-information will mm. do to the to the European scene. So what mm. happened is that um, as a black person, naturally, if you used to, you grew up dancing and you grew up um, dancing to certain rhythms and you're used to that, naturally, the sense uh, of grooving and and the sense of those rhythms is almost like an ancestral thing. It's like within you, and it's it's like almost you already used to awake that that part that's inside your DNA, that's within your your body. You're basically carrying all those information within you, and if you are able to be um, awakened because you grew up listening to that, then there's naturally that sense of grooving that is there, right? But yeah. that sense of grooving is difficult to teach to people who didn't grow up with that or that that don't descend from this uh, from from those cultures or rhythms. Okay. And yes. Besides listening to <laughs> besides listening to this music is the whole heritage, the history heritage that's behind it that comes with it that that explains that way of moving. And then I had a hard time before to find the words to make people understand how important it is for them to connect with that sense of grooving, what it means. Because in Europe, they see it as an aesthetic and not as a social thing. They don't see the social aspect of it. They just see, oh, when you groove, it's suppo- your body's supposed to shape that certain way or move in a circle away or that way. It became mm. a, a technical thing. It became something that you chose to do in hip-hop. So they will say, oh, you, you more... Um, you more groovy and me I'm more technical it, it was that kind of conversation that was encountered a lot a lot and, and that that in and of itself is is a very white way of looking Definitely. at it completely but can you imagine from my perspective in Switzerland and not have like I didn't know how to express that I didn't have the the tools because I had nobody around to have those conversations Oof. deeply about it so it's hard. It's like you try to explain, but constantly the, uh, you were challenging because people would tell you, well, that's more your taste. I chose not to do that. Uh, I don't feel like I'm less into groove. I'm not into grooving. I'm more into that. I was like, but this is not something that you choose. And you will sound like you are just being conservative stupidly, you know? And it, it sounds so immensely lonely. <laughs> yeah it, it is it is there was only a few people that gets it and then a lot around that don't and i was like wow and it's when i moved here um i would say just before 2015 i was teaching a class and then I, I was i was starting slowly to talk every time in my class about those topic of race and understanding the why of the culture so people can understand their position if they decide to be part of it how um how is it what is the dynamic of you not being black in a culture the concept of cultural appropriation the concept all those things intertwine and what it means so people could understand when they hear people complain is not a hate statement towards you there's more to that so how can i make people understand and then how can i make people understand the value um, with the group those conversations didn't resonate well all the time. So I thought if I use dance, dance itself will help people probably understand. But I have to find a way to make to put that value there. I didn't know how for so long. 
until I realized, well, there, there you go. I have to make that concept of groove technical. If mm. I'm able to do that, people will listen because that's what they want. So mm. that's where I start doing this thing called te uh, technique within your groove. Basically make people understand on how like um, there's a difference between you doing a movement or technical stuff that if I repeat, repeat enough, I, I could do it too. But the groove is something that's supposed to be completely unique. No matter how, you will not look like me. How can I make a single move, a technical tool look different? If I tell you we all gonna do lift our right arm, uh, how can you make that lifting your right arm different from me? For for people, it's like wow, like but there's not that different. We just lift the arm, right? But actually, if you dig deeper into your groove, you can make that arm, that lifting arm thing, completely different from the person next to you. And this is what hip hop is about because you want to look different. You want to focus on your identity. Here is the main thing to focus on is the groove. So it is diff it was difficult, but that was the only starting point for me to bring that conversation and be like, if there's no groove, then I don't get to see you. And if I don't get to see you, there's no point for you to be part of this community because it was made for us to be seen, to be able to express who we are, to be heard whenever we, we're outside of it, we can this is an opportunity inside for us to shine and to be, to elevate ourselves. So you can't, I cannot accept you being there and you don't allow me to see you. If mm. you are here, I got to be able to see you. And the only way is for me, is for me to see your groove. This is what tells me what you're about. If you don't, then I don't see the point of you doing hip hop period. And that's how I was able to relate, connect to people and make them understand that a little deeper and where they were able to see more value into groove, but it's hard. <laughs> I mean, I, speaking as somebody who has had his own journey uh, growing up in whiteness and finally, like, being exposed to groove and finally, like, diving into it, like, I, I hear you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I don't, you know, your experience, I don't, I can't say I've experienced what you've experienced, but, like, I... I'm so happy to be having the conversation and to to know that others are going to hear you in your wow. words talk about this. And speaking, no, thank you. Um, speaking of being seen and shining and 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 expressing um, all of that, what can you tell us about the Nefer Global Movement? Nice. <laughs> so. Before we dive into that, the, the, the nefer, I just want to add to really fully answer your question. The, the main problem in Europe is that the conversation is not really happening with that much depth because it's harder to quantify the issue. In US, everything is quantified. It's easy to quantify. They will ask me my race on official form. I was never asked my race before in Switzerland in non-official form. Which mm. is really, for me, it was a shocking thing. And so it's easier to point out and to make statistics on what is the issue. In Europe, you can't. That's a big problem. It's, it's easier to hide. Um, it's easier to pretend like everything is okay. So they make the system so you are almost assimilate, not even, it's more than just like, you know, just adapting to, to a culture when you get there. It's really like 
assimilation and you feel like everything is fine where in fact it's not. So the conversation is, is hard. Like we, we all, I think at some point, black and white have been blinded a lot in Europe when it comes to that issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. And when it comes to Nefer, the Nefer, the Nefer. So this is the sisterhood thing. Um, where a lot of 14 girls of us uh, came together just to highlight the power of females, you know, women and women of colors, uh, but not only all women, but also there's an emphasis of women of colors as well because I feel like it's needed. Um, and for specific, for many reasons, like I feel in the dance scene as a woman is, um, it's this dancing is mainly men ruled <laughs> it always has been like that and i feel like it's changing slowly but there's still some issues uh lack of representations on many levels uh, as much as you see more female now um i think the the sense of value the aesthetic of um, a female dancer is still challenged uh, by men a lot um and it's challenged by other females too because I think we have been deeply uh, affected by the men vision so even for us women sometimes it's hard to see value in other females it's hard to see value in what they're doing um, in the, uh, because we have been influenced by the men aesthetic a lot uh, so I feel like the nefer is more a way to show that we are here we are connected and there's there's a beauty to uh, sisterhood. The beauty about that is really how uh, when we come together, we are really stronger. This is something that women are really great at. We, we are really naturally good at bringing people together, to gather, to nurture. We hold homes together. Like we have that natural thing. Whenever we come together, there's power that coming out of it. So... I feel it's a strong message for any female out there that feel lonely to see that, to know that now we are there. There's female that out there to represent you. And if you need, you can reach out and, you know, just a, a sense, give a sense of power to all women. Mm. That's beautiful. I mean, that's some of the best and most meaningful teachers I've ever had in my life. Most of them actually have been women. Um, oh, nice. A good deal of them have been black women. Um, and I owe so much to, to them. And so when you speak of the female ascetic um, and that, that, uh, that nurturing and that, that, uh, that energy, like that, that just brings me back to some of the teachers I've had in the past. And it's, it's just, very beautiful and i love that that nefer is is a thing i love that you know um y'all are y'all are doing your thing and y'all are you're you're showing your power and it's mm. not necessarily the same power that like people think of when they when they hear the word power no it's not it's completely different that's what you mean <laughs> and that's what makes it even more you know even stronger in my opinion but um, it feels good to hear because we have been challenged 
on that. So it feels good to hear another man saying that because we have been challenged a lot by other men that don't really see it that way. You know, it's, it's, um, so it's good and to it's, hear. And it's a shame too, because those men can also like, you know, if they're uh, queer or if they are uh, a person of color, etc. like they still understand oppression. They have still been oppressed. And at mm-hmm. the same time, don't understand how they can perpetuate their own you know exactly no it's 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 really hard but i think times we'll do and we'll show that we're not doing that against men but more to be more together actually that's that's the goal and it's it's needed it really is and i mean i my my platform right now that i've built reaches i like to joke about this but like you know maybe a dozen people you know um (laughs) it reaches a small office is what it does but at the same time yeah, like yeah exactly but at the same time like it's my personal goal to like if i can get every single one of y'all on my show and at least have these conversations recorded so that you know women and like this this thing doesn't even need to take off but if you know some woman some some girl dancer like in the in the future like hears this and gets something from it it's worth it yeah it is it is it so is ho- I mean, hopefully, people, more people will hear you. I really <laughs> hope, like you know, I, I hope. Like I think it's the purpose of those conversations. I, f- I feel like the more we have those, it's uh, the more we can at least reach out to one extra person out there that's not gonna come to the scene, which is amazing. Mm. So, speaking of which, what is something that you wish that men in the street dance scene? knew and could understand about what it is that you go through and i'm sure there's just too much to list in, in yeah. you know in one hour let alone 10 but you know <laughs> whatever you want to throw out there what's something you wish that more of us would understand so i just wish okay so there's a perfect example that i use when i talk in classes about the racial issue I feel like when you don't experience something, it's hard for you to to understand, which is normal. So when we talk about race, there's, I think white the white community can understand only to a certain extent. They cannot fully understand because they will have to experience it to really get it. And the issue with that, um, it's hard to get our message through because everybody's so sitting on their own personal experience. It will never make sense if I keep trying to make you understand something by using only my experience. You will never get it. So the way I thought that was useful is to use everyday life examples, stuff that everybody can relate. We all we all poop and pee, you know. So those ex- those kind of examples where everybody like can relate. So um, the one I found was. I have two examples. Let's say you go to a doctor um, mm-hmm. and you have, an inj- you, you have an injury. And then the first thing the doctor is going to do is check that injury, right? Let's say you have a knee injury. So he will check that injury. And to check it, he will have to put his hands on it, right? And then eventually put pressure on that injury to check the, the injury. What is the natural reflex you're going to have when that doctor put pressure on it? Oof. I, uh, my natural reflex would probably be to cry like really <laughs> big man tears. Oh, 
well, there you go. Probably you... kick or, or wince or scream or something. Yeah, that natural reflex on pain, you know, like when you react to your pain. And then the natural reaction of that doctor, when he sees you react on that pain, he will, what, what would he do? Release the pressure, naturally. Release the pressure and look for a solution. So mm. I feel like if somebody's telling you I'm in pain, stop. Why don't you just release the pressure and eventually look for a solution? That's all, uh, that's all it is. I love it. I love that. That's, that's... Would... Sorry, go on. No, I feel like mm, drinking my tea. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like those examples are the, were the most efficient for me in class to get messages through. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one of them. Well, I mean, you don't, I've ne- you don't need to feel it. Just it should be you as a human. It should be enough. If you hear somebody's in pain, why don't you just like be? You don't have to get it. Just like okay, I hear you. I'll stop because it's painful, and that's it. You know what I mean? You don't have to understand. Just be human. <laughs> Goddamn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean. One would think it'd be the easiest thing in the world, and yet so many people struggle against doing that, against letting go of the pressure. Yeah. Um, Because I think it's, if they admit that they've taken part in something like that, then, then that leads to a road of like, they actually have to question a lot more about themselves and who they really are then they're true. comfortable they're comfortable with doing oh, it's real it's uh i think it's part of the process of understanding if you are willing to go there to that pain to that guilt that's the first step to the bigger understanding it's a natural i mean it's a natural uh, reaction to feel that that guilt you know but from there if you are willing to face it the real understanding will start coming, you know? I mean, real understanding, you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, and I actually, I had this discussion um, a month or two ago uh, with a, he's a coworker, like I'm, I'm friendly with him. I don't know if I'd call him my friend, but you know, he's, he's not a bad guy, but he's like a 50 something white man, right? Mm-hmm. And we, I had this, I got into this argument with him about uh, John Wayne, the old movie actor because John Wayne was a white supremacist. Like he, he talks in a playboy interview in the seventies about, you know, essentially just, you know, he believes white people are better. Um, And we have this argument because he's talking about my generation and, and, you know, how we, you know, judge the past when it was a different time, et cetera, et cetera. I'm like, no, I get why he said it. But that still means, you know, he, it's still racist. That does, there's no, you know, and it doesn't mean he is the devil, but also it's not looking good. But anyway, we, we have this long ass conversation <laughs> yeah. and I, and I talked to him about empathy and I talked to him about like, when I was learning to talk to women, for example, like a woman I was interested in, you know, mm-hmm. um, before, how did it go for you? Oh, <laughs> you know, uh, there's just stuff in the past that I'm not proud of. Uh, and I okay. think, you know, every, everyone has that, but you know, yeah. uh, some, it was actually a guy that broke it down for me. He's like, 
you have to understand, man, that like if if you're speaking to a beautiful woman in a, a public place, that's not the first time that's happened to her. And it's probably not the first time that's happened to her that day. You know, like she okay. has to deal with this so much. So like, you know, it's it's natural that she would get tired of it. It's natural that she like, you know, wants to just be in her space and be left alone, you know? And if that, if she expresses that to you, there's no reason to be offended. Like she can't reject you. She doesn't know you. She just rejects your approach. So mm. like go move on, meet somebody else, you know? True. But like all these guys get like so worked up about it and like offended in the fragile male ego, like makes him want to like cuss women out and all this other stuff. And it, I was explaining to this guy all this and it's like, yo, just, Try and look at it from their point of view is all I was saying. And he responded with like, oh, well, that's just so, you know, that sounds exhausting. And why, you know, it's just much simpler to just be a good person and this, this and this. And I was like, all right, man, moral of the story is that you're saying you don't understand why people feel a certain way. But you're also saying you don't want to put the effort in to learn why they do that. So exactly. And this is also, this is interesting that you're saying that because I feel like depending on the topic and if we go back, circling back to the racial issue, it's true that sometimes if you talk about it, you feel like they don't have to, if they don't want to, to understand it because they are in the position where they don't need that understanding. They're good. You know, they live good every day. Nothing's good. That's not going to affect their everyday life. They would think like we are more in need of it to, for them to understand. So their sur- their survival start. their survival doesn't depend on them understanding. Exactly. Thank you. Exactly. That's the thing. And so for me, it's like if they don't need it, um, does does that conversation matter to have with certain people? And um, you know, there's something that I thought it through a lot, a lot, a lot, and it's true that I had to actually learn to know where is necessary to have this conversation or not. But when it comes to our dancing, I feel like it's unapologetically necessary. It's mm. no, for me, it's, there's no way around this conversation because it comes from that. It definitely comes from that. Definitely, hip hop is a response to racism, period. Same for house. Like all of this, it's all related to that. So there's no way, if you want to be part of it, that you're not going to face that conversation. So I, t- I tell most of them, like, if you don't want to hear it, you have the choice is to be out of it. Just, just get out. Yeah, no. And that's the thing, too. I've said to people, I've said to um, dancers, mostly white dancers that are like, you know, mm-hmm. that complain about politics in black dancing. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's that's in Lindy Hop and the blues swing dancing, as well as oh, yeah. modern street dances. Right. I'll hear these yeah. same people bitch about politics. I'm like, yo if you don't want to dance, if you don't want politics messing up your dance, go dance the polka. Exactly. Get exactly. the fuck That's out of this. That's not your place. Exactly. Yep. I don't feel like this, this is not the place. If there's a place for you not to complain about that, it's definitely there, you know? Like, <laughs> you want to, definitely there. Like, get out. You know, you have room everywhere else. You have the world for yourself already. You know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, well, I could I could uh, talk with 
you about this for hours and the next time we meet let's definitely do that yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. but sure. we we do got to wrap up so i guess my last question for you and i i you know i'm sorry i have to ask this to a lot of people right now but you know we're we're doing this interview uh, over the phone um in a quarantine because the world has you know gone crazy and there's a, a mass pandemic yeah. um so how do you see our global dance community adapting to the pandemic? And what do you predict is going to change for us when we finally get to the other side of it? I think it's going to change a lot of things in terms of uh, how we interact with people uh, in the dance world. I think a lot of people are going to be just scared to be around each other and which is like vital for our community to be around each other. Like though all of those are built socially. So for me, it's like, if we cannot really be social, I don't know how it's gonna evolve down the line if it stays like this. So my only worries is that if we're gonna have to face daily that, that virus, if that virus is gonna be part of our daily lives like for, for years, we will have to learn not to be social anymore, which is like crazy for me when I think about those art forms. So that's my that's the first thing I'm thinking right now. And the second thing I, I see is that there's new new uh, way of creating work that will that's already happening. You know, like uh, just the classes online for me to do that is crazy. That's the less important thing I ever done in my life. <laughs> like like really but it's like crazy to see how wow to see the people's reaction he actually brings joy to people just to be able to do that mm. so there's a sense of uh, value to to just having the ability to move that's coming back that, mm. that that that's the beauty of it like just that 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 ability to wow i can move i can be i can actually make make uh, great things out of my small space and you know keep evolving it's actually possible just that little feeling and the sense of coming together deeper you know like it's crazy and i think i mean i i i'm sure the the after effects of this experience are going to stay with us for years but the virus itself like eventually we will gain immunity to it yeah, you know? it's true. So yeah, I think if yeah. we can end in, well, I'm not, I'm not to, not to say you're wrong, but I just want to like add on to that. Like I, if, if we can end on hope, if there is hope to be found, I think from what I understand of, of people and from what I understand of our scene, I think we're going to come back stronger. I want to believe, I have to believe that when we finally can see each other again, we're finally going to value what that means. Cause I don't think we really, we really appreciated it when we had it. Exactly. That's, that's more or less what I, what I noticed already now. And I'm thinking you right after that, definitely that sense going to stay stronger, you know, like that sense of valuing what we do and what we have that I, I believe. So I believe the sense of um, community will come back more. Because I think it's been lost a little bit. You know, people put community in every, every, everywhere they can, but I'm not sure they really understand what it really means. 
and he feels like with that, like you said, it will it will happen. But I'm afraid of just the that that thing when when we're just gonna get out. Maybe not in ten years, maybe not in five, but just like if let's say in one year we all gonna get out that quarantine. <laughs> it's just gonna be really weird. Like I mean, I don't I know- think people are gonna be hugging each other. It's not gonna happen. You know, going to club. I'm not even thinking about going to club anytime soon. Honestly, Just though, all that aspect. <laughs> honestly, though, I I know a few people that are gonna go nuts with it, and and oh, I'm wow. I'm probably I'm probably one of them too. So really, <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Well, but in any case, that's good. Yeah, thank you, thank you. <laughs> Be careful, though. Only God can judge me. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> but uh, in in that sense, I think it's time for us to to wrap this one up. So if you uh, have any tea left in your glass, I know I do. And if y'all listening at home have any drinks left, uh, let's raise them up to a toast to the end of the world. To the end of the world. Ah, yes. So, yeah. um, Tatiana Des. Desadwan. Mm. Hey, you got it. Mm. You got it. Des- Desadwan. Tatiana Desadwan. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, hopefully we have you again soon. And um, for everyone else, thanks for tuning in. This is Rob Celtic signing off. Thank we will. You, oh, thank you. <laughs> we will endure. We will grow. And we will overcome. God bless. This episode of Drinking and Dance at the End of the World was written and produced by me, Rob Celtic. Music for this episode was provided by the one and only Feathers. That's F-T-H-R-S. You can find his new album, Floating, on Spotify and Bandcamp under Feathers. If you like what you heard and you want to support the show, visit us on Patreon at patreon.com slash drinkingandance and donate for early episode releases, bonus episodes, personal shoutouts, and more. Thanks again for listening. Don't forget to like, favorite, and follow on Spotify and Anchor. We'll see you next time.